This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today, University of Illinois Chicago history professor and author Michael Jinn joins the podcast. Jinn research covers a broad array of focus areas, including migration and diaspora studies, Asian American history, critical race, and the history of American West. His latest book, Citizens, Immigrants, and the Stateless, a Japanese-American Diaspora in the Pacific, captures a snapshot in the lives of more than 50,000 U.S.-born Japanese-American migrants across multiple national and colonial borders between the U.S. and Japanese empires before, during, and after World War II. The book recuperates the stories of Japanese-American workers, students, travelers, and survivors of war on both sides of the Pacific that redefine ideas about home, citizenship, and belonging between the crossroads of trans-Pacific identity. Michael Jen, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So uh, first, let's start at the University of Illinois and, and what you teach as a professor, and then we can get into what sparked your interest in creating this book and this topic area. Sure. I am a U.S. historian by training uh, with a focus on Asian American history, uh, the history of the American West, and history of human migration. I have always been uh, interested in pushing the geographical, uh, conceptual, and uh, linguistic boundaries of the history of human migration. The story of the, the particular group of migrants that I write about in, in my book has allowed me to do that. And you talk about the 50,000 Japanese Americans who are called the Nisei. And those were uh, Japanese Americans who were born in America and their first language is English. So one in four U.S. born Nisei left the United States during the first half of the 20th century. Uh, in your book, you, you study the reasons as to why. Could you give us a brief snapshot of that time in, in history at that point? Yeah, so there are two terms that I use uh, throughout the book. Um, one is Nisei, that's the term that you just mentioned. Uh, Nisei uh, literally means second generation in Japanese. Nisei were the U.S.-born children of Japanese immigrants, uh, American citizens by birth. And Kibei, which in Japanese literally means uh, return to America, a group of Nisei um, who were born in the United States and they moved to Japan when they were young, spent a various amounts of time in Japan and also Japanese colonies in Asia. And they returned to the United States uh, before the Pacific War in 1941. So here was a group of um, Asian American migrants who were US citizens by birth and who lived in a fundamentally multilingual and multicultural and transnational world um, that was intimately shaped by uh, the volatile U.S.-Japan relations, which of course culminated in a devastating war in 1941. In, in Japanese American history, and especially the incarceration of the people of Japanese ancestry in the United States during World War II is arguably the most widely taught and researched topic in 20th century Asian American history. Um, and there is no question that it was a, a watershed moment with significant um, implications on the meaning of race, uh, loyalty, citizenship, and civil liberties. And yet it remains a misunderstood history. And what I mean by that is that 
the popular narrative of the Japanese American experience is that they were patriotic victims of wartime hysteria and racism, um, who nevertheless proved their loyalty to the United States through active cooperation. And in the process, they overcame racial violence and prejudice and uh, quietly rebuilt their lives and their community and ultimately fulfilled the promise of American democracy. And that really became the hallmark of the widely celebrated Asian American success story. And um, what I would argue is the myth of Asian Americans as a model minority. This is a powerful narrative, but I was always troubled by this notion of proving one's loyalty. What, what does it mean to be loyal? And why did one have to prove their loyalty? And obviously the war had engendered um, enormous social pressure for the Japanese American community to convince the American public that they were not enemy aliens and they were American. But the reason that this kind of narrative I think can be problematic is that the singular representation of Japanese American loyalty tends to overlook the equally important history of resistance and diverse uh, life experiences, including those who had lived in Japan. Many of them thought that if they could learn to speak Japanese well enough, you know, they might be able to find the kinds of educational and professional opportunities that were not available to them in the United States. Japan at the time represented a rising colonial empire. For many Nisei, um, seeking opportunities in Japan made sense. Many of them rather naively thought that they might be welcomed with open arms by Japanese, although the reality that they faced once they moved to Japan and Japanese colonies was very, very different. I mean, they, they were immigrants after all. Um, you know, who found themselves in a very unfamiliar uh, territory. Many of them had trouble understanding the nuances of the Japanese culture and customs. You know, social mobility in, in the Japanese empire for them was as difficult mm -hmm. as what they had faced back in the United States. Um, and so for a variety of socioeconomic and personal reasons, between 10,000 and 20,000 uh, Nisei migrants in Japan returned to the United States before the outbreak of Pearl Harbor in 1941, and they became known as Kibei. Got it. And that puts particularly the Nisei in quite a tough position. During the 1920s, there were a rise in anti-Japanese sentiments through legislation and the American reactions towards the Japanese. It was a, a threat, a fear of their industriousness and Matter of fact, in 1922, the U.S. Supreme Court, Takao Azawa versus United States, denied the naturalization rights to Japanese nationals and, and stamped their permanent status as aliens ineligible to citizenship. And then also there were entire campaigns that were run across the country, particularly in California, where, you know, Mayor Phelan, you know, he actually thrived in that environment on a campaign of save our state from oriental aggression, you know, keep California white were the slogans at the time. So when you're born and, and raised in a hostile territory like this in, in the United States, you have the longing to have that development and, and grow and be able to self-actualize, you know, maybe back home. But once you go back home to Japan, you face new challenges. You face the challenge 
of not fully being integrated into the culture and those who are born and raised in Japan see you as as an outsider and that difficulty that that stands there well moving forward from that how did that dynamic become even more complicated in terms of identity for Japanese born Americans as the wartime began to uh, rise and, and continue throughout 30s and into the 40s. Yeah, it started in the 1910s migration of uh, the Nisei from the U.S. West Coast and Hawaii to Japan and Japanese colonies really peaked during the 1920s and, and 1930s. Once they moved to Japan, many of them found themselves, um, of course, in the metropole of a rising empire. Mm-hmm. They encountered a society that was undergoing intense social and political transformations. For example, I I write about writer and intellectual named uh, David Akira Itami, who was born in Oakland, California, and he was sent to a uh, small uh, coastal town in Kagoshima Prefecture on the island of uh, Kyushu. And he grew up in Japan in the 1910s and 1920s. And it was a time in the modern Japanese history, which witnessed the rise of unprecedented political liberalism and social unrest with uh, popular movements led by feminist activists, uh, political dissidents, labor unions. Uh, There was burgeoning literary movement by uh, not only uh, modernist uh, writers, but also um, socialists. Yutami and many Nisei, the young Nisei migrants in Japan, they, they really became products of um, volatile social change in Japan, um, and many uh, young Nisei who went to Japan and who was deeply influenced by the Marxist literature, for instance, and and they they came back to the United States in the 1930s, and they they became really influential figures in the labor movement in California. There was a very important uh, socialist intellectual named Carl Yoneta, and he became a vocal critic of Japan during the war. And he and his fellow Kibe communists were some of the important leaders of the movement to actively support the U.S. war effort against Japan. Kibe uh, intellectuals and writers and activists, uh, what what they did when they returned uh, to the United States in the 1930s and on the eve of Pearl Harbor was that they added so much to the cultural and political and uh, linguistic dynamics within the Japanese American community. But once the war broke out, they became stigmatized Mm. as those who came back from Japan with the cultural baggage of being too Japanese. Mm. Because the war really put enormous social and political pressure on the entire Japanese American community who, who, who had to um, you know, endure uh, the, the a humiliating experience of you know, spending the war years uh, behind barbed wire. They were um, collectively branded as dangerous enemy aliens based on the existing nativist sentiment that Asians, uh, regardless of one's citizenship, were uh, perpetually foreign and therefore perpetually loyal to their, their home countries. And the war exacerbated that sentiment. Right. And um, and the the voices and the perspectives of of the Kibe were were policed and actively suppressed, 
not only by the U.S. government, but also by the leaders of the Japanese American um, community because they thought that the Kibei stood out mm -hmm. as those Japanese Americans, despite their American citizenship uh, by birth, because of their upbringing and their um, educational background in Japan, you know, they, they represented, uh, you know, this subgroup of Nisei who could potentially defy or um, tarnish the image of Japanese Americans as loyal Americans first. And their voices were, were continuously suppressed even after the war. Wartime tension really contributed to this collective erasure, what I think was a really rich and um, dynamic and complex transnational um, history of Nisei. Right. Um, you talk about the erasure and wartime effects and, and conflict, how that brings about a drawing of line of sorts in terms of identity and loyalty and nationality. Where does one stand? And if they do not stand with us, then they are silenced. Today, that has serious <laughs> implications uh, that we say, see right now. Um, Ukraine and Russia, although it's not the same as uh, World War II, the Japanese-American experience, um, there is a certain identity in Ukraine in the sense that there are citizens in Ukraine who have brothers and sisters and relatives that's in Russia. They share a cultural identity and they continuously have cross-border interactions. But during wartime, the, the line is drawn. The, the identity is, is asked, uh, where do you stand? On which side? Wondering if you see the the parallels with that and uh, from Japanese Americans in World War II, who maybe were in America, but the understanding the cultural ties to your home country and what where that conflict lies. Yeah, I, um, I think that's a really um, important point, and I, I think there there's a definitely historical parallel, although. I should say that um, I am not an expert in, in the history of um, Ukrainian-Russian uh, relation. <laughs> Ukraine yeah, or, or, we're, we're all uh, learning this in real general. time so I, I, <laughs> together. I, right, so I, I need to be very, very, very careful with with my my comments when it, when it comes to you know, drawing any um, historical parallel between you know mm -hmm. what what I know um, you know happened um, back in the nineteen forties and what's happening now. I'll speak about um, American yeah, wars in general, because the uh, United States continued to fight um, its Asian enemies throughout the rest of the 20th century and well into the 21st century, as we know. You know, during World War II, Japanese Americans were, they were forced to sever their ties to, mm -hmm. to Japan, whether it's their cultural ties, any sort of um, social identity, any economic ties, um, family ties, of course, and that was a very, very intense process because you know, war, again, war, war tends mm -hmm. to exacerbate the nation-centered meaning of loyalty, right? That process of Japanese Americans having to claim their Americanness, that process mm -hmm. was even more intense. And time and again, we, we, we saw the you know, similar um, kind of political and social pressure other Asian American groups mm -hmm. during the Korean War, for instance, um, Vietnam War. 
um, and more more recently, Islamophobia, a renewed anti-Chinese uh, sentiment, um, anti-Asian hate during crimes, the pandemic, right? Uh, xenophobic uh, violence, um, yeah, during the pandemic. So it 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 really had it 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 has never really gone away. And you know, time and again, we are reminded that you know moments of crisis like wars, public health, medical crisis like the COVID pandemic people whose communities and their, their lives are, are affected are the ones who have the onus, you know, have to um, prove mm-hmm. um, their, their loyalty and their worth. So, um, yeah, so I think, I think there's uh, definitely, definitely an important right. historical um, paragraph. Um, yeah, your, your book is, is fascinating um, because this is a story that's not often told, that internal conflict where you feel like you have uh, multiple identities, multiple loyalties that's tugging at you, especially during uh, a wartime and you, you have to make the decision for yourself, who uh, will you align with and who should you align with and, and what speaks true to you? And if you speak your authentic truth, will that be silence? Will that be demonized? And you take the readers through and a full journey of those stories. And I know the one with David Akira Itami. Uh, He was a columnist showing and writing the the lives of Japanese Americans during this time. But the the pressure got to him where he, you know, ended up taking his own life. So if anybody is interested, I I really do uh, encourage them to, to pick this up. If people want to learn more about the projects that you have coming up, get in contact and, and learn more about you and where can they find you? Sure. Um, they, um, they can uh, find out more about my work on my website, michaelrjen.com. Perfect. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. I uh, appreciate you giving us your insight into this uh, historical point in time and this historical period and hopefully people, they can take away from this uh, what uh, current activities that's happening and current events and how it can relate to our past. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.